Support for the Heel Tough Blog podcast comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Look, guys, we've all been there. We've all been trimming. All of a sudden, we clip something we don't want to clip. You don't want to do that. Make sure you take care of your downstairs area, just like the Tar Heels have to make sure they take care of Sam Howell. We don't want to have to put the backup in. And guess what? There's no backup for your balls. So that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. That's right, manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past, and come on guys, don't use the same trimmer on your face that you're using on your balls, let's just be honest, that is disgusting. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer, so you don't have to use any of those powders or whatever, you already put deodorant on your armpits, why not put deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Right now you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BIGHEADS, that's all one word, BIGHEADS at manscaped.com, always use the right tool for the job, your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code BIGHEADS to get your Manscaped product today. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds! The game is over! And Carolina has won the game! Finley to throw. Over the middle, intercepted! Wolfuck again! Wolfuck the other way! At the 30, the 40, Wolfuck to midfield! Miles Wolfuck with the pick! The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory! Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one, Davis! Has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Now, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Burr. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Big Heads Media Podcast. Guys, and welcome into this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It is Anthony Pagnata back with you guys as always. And today we welcome on a former Tar Heel offensive lineman, as well as a guy that has worked with Inside Carolina in Mike Ingersoll. And Mike, uh, it's a big week, man. Uh, you, you ready? I'm assuming you're ready to go for uh, this weekend against State. This is every single year the biggest week of the year. Uh, they are. They are a true football rival, and I have uh, no mixed feelings about Moo I hope that entire school burns to the ground. 
There we go. <laughs> I think we, uh, we we all kind of feel the same way. Unfortunately, we have to travel there uh, on Saturday. And, um, I mean, look, Carolina's coming off uh, one of their best games of the season. But you did say after the loss to Pittsburgh that you thought that the Tar Heels would finish with a win over Mercer and then eventually lose to State. As you sit here this week with everything that happened this past week, you know, Carolina looking as good as they did against Mercer. Granted, an FCS opponent that's struggling and State losing the game to Georgia Tech uh, that drops them from any chance of going to a bowl game. Do you still feel the same way about this Tar Heel team heading into this game on Saturday? Uh, unfortunately, I do. And I, I think my, my early season predictions were, my preseason predictions were that Carolina would go 4-8. and eight. State would ultimately be a loss. Um, they would win a couple games that they shouldn't win. They, they would lose a couple games they shouldn't lose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, they'll be four and eight, and then that four and eight will actually be a success if, if you're looking at it objectively. Um, you know, it, it, most people most people would see that as a failure, but considering where the team has been the last two years, uh, I, I assume that the four and eight would actually look much better, look much more competitive than than, a, than the record would reflect. I mean, luckily they they they've proven me wrong and they've hauled off five wins, but I think the sentiment remains the same that you know they have still looked really good in some games, looked not as good in other games, had a chance to win every game. Um, but that being said, they've lost a couple games that they should have won, and frankly, they've won a couple games, I think games one and two this season, um, that they should have lost. Right. Um, and, and, and they just started off a little fast, um, which unfortunately jacked up fans' expectations a little unrealistically, yep. um, which is understandable. Um, you know, human nature would be to get excited. I got excited, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, I think everyone needed to temper their expectations. Carolina has come back down to earth. Um, and unfortunately, you know, even with as bad as State looked against Georgia Tech and how bad they looked all year, this is not, uh, this game is never the same game. They don't play the same game against Carolina that they play against other people all year long. You think back to, like, when I played with Russell Wilson, at quarterback, those state teams for the most part were terrible. Um, right. I don't know that, I think only one of them may have made a bowl game the entire time we were in college. Uh, but every single year, they played out of their mind against us. They scored the most points against us. Russell will have his best game. You know, there was kind of nothing we could do um, could do with those guys. It always ended up being one of the most difficult games we played all year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, against a team that, frankly, was outmatched by us from a talent perspective, from a scheme perspective, obviously from an ultimate draft pick perspective. So, you know, NCAA, I think I think State is in a similar boat this year. I think it's the same kind of Carolina team mm-hmm. uh, like we had. Um, but yeah, State's going to play out of their mind. I still, I still think this is going to be a loss. But I don't want the fans to think that means the season is a failure. Yeah, well, I, I think, uh, I mean, there's definitely a, a chance, I think, coming in uh, with everything. I, I know people will look at them and say, look, they haven't really had a great year. Um, you know, there might not be as many fans there. Uh, that last part I don't think is going to be true at all. I think there will be tons of state fans there. And I, I'm with your thinking that, look, they're going to come out and probably play their best game of the season. They're going to come out motivated and ready to play because uh, there's a chance that you can keep Carolina from going to a bowl game. So the Tar 
Bills have to be ready to play in this game. Um, you know, I, I think one of the main reasons that they've kind of had their struggles at times this year is while the offense has been good, they've, you know, had some struggles in the red zone. Now, the good news is they looked good against Mercer, but again, that's Mercer. Uh, coming into that game, they were converting just 48.6% of their red zone opportunities into touchdowns. What do you think is the biggest problem with this uh, this red zone offense uh, so far this season for Mac Brown and company? Uh, well, we've been made entirely one-dimensional by virtue of being unable to run the football down, you know, from the 10-yard line in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the reason why we've been relatively ineffective running the ball in the red zone is that we haven't done a very good job of getting up on the second level in those short yardage situations. And, you know, you understand, down there in the red zone, it's a compressed field. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a much mm-hmm. shorter football field. But the entire defense and the entire offense is all crammed into that one little area. It's like fighting in a phone booth. Um, right. So your scheme, everything hits much quicker. Everything appears much quicker. Linebackers shoot gaps faster. Um, everything is much. Everything is different. The game is much faster, much quicker, much more abbreviated down there in the red zone. So schematically, in terms of your your blocking assignments, if you're an offensive lineman, everything happens a lot faster. Um, much faster than, than you game plan for, much much faster than you're than you're prepared for a lot mm-hmm. of times. Um, and if you're unable to stick with your technique and get up on the second level, which is always the players that always make plays on the red zone and the linebackers, um, if you can't get off of the, the the first level block on your double teams and get up to linebackers, you're not going to be able to spring any runs down there in the red zone and set up the pass um, or set up a boot or set up you know a draw whatever whatever have you. Let's get into the get into the end zone. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to set that stuff up. And that's the problem that we've had is that we've been unable to get up on the second level consistently um, and make those blocks and have an effective run game down in the red zone. So now we just rely on the pass, and we're limited in terms of what type of passing, what type of route combinations we can run on, again, a truncated field. Right. Well, I mean, I think you're 100% right with that. That was kind of what we discussed uh, last week was, you know, in the red zone, coming into the game against Mercer, the Tar Heels had just four rushing touchdowns in the red zone all season. So uh, that's that's a really great point right there. I, I mean, you're right. Sam Howell just has limited field to work with when he's in the red zone. Good news is he's thrown 15 touchdowns of 20 yards or longer so far this season, um, and he's really just put together a one of the best true freshman seasons that a quarterback could imagine. Um, you know, I mean, when you look at him right now, where do you think he ranks among the nation's elite quarterbacks? He's got to be somewhere near the top, right? Well, I mean, productivity, he'd probably be top five or six. Um, in terms of actual, you know, there's a lot of things to factor into this. I mean, I don't like when you evaluate quarterbacks off a of pro potential. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, you're, if you're evaluating a quarterback off of pro potential, it's for it's whether or not you think he'll be successful in the NFL. Whether he's a successful college quarterback, right. his NFL draft stock has nothing to do with that. It's all productivity. And I think mm-hmm. right now Sam is probably a top five, six, maybe seven um, quarterback in college football from a productivity standpoint. Obviously, the ones that are going to be in front of him are you got Tua down at Alabama, you've got Trevor Lawrence at mm-hmm. Clemson, you know, the usual suspects. You've got this Herbert kid out there at Oregon. Right. Uh, you know, you, you've, got, you've got guys littered, you know, all, all around the country that are pretty good. Um, but Sam is right up there with them, and it's been sort of frankly remarkable how well he's performed as a true freshman. And I, I don't think people understand that. You know, if you redshirt, that redshirt year does help. You get acclimated in college. You obviously aren't getting game reps. Although under the new NCAA rules, you can, and most schools do a good job of getting their quote redshirt guys uh, actual game reps when they can. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, back, like when I played, where red shirt was a true red shirt, you just did not see the field. Right. You did have an adaptation period, though. You, you were able to uh, acclimate to college, acclimate to the game. You had to actually either get bigger, stronger, faster, start understanding football from a, uh, from an intellectual standpoint, from an academic standpoint, much better. Um, so that when you went into your redshirt freshman year, that was actually your sophomore year academically, mm-hmm. you were more prepared. Coming in as a true freshman, straight out of high school, where he was at Sun Valley High School in Monroe, mm-hmm. you know, six or seven months, or I guess now about a year ago, you know, a year earlier. Um, you know, coming in out of that, straight into ACC college football play and dominating the way that he has, has been unbelievably impressive because there's just, he never had that opportunity to have that, that learning curve. Yeah, he had spring ball, but right. a normal redshirt year is an entire year. It's not two or three months. So Sam has been unbelievably impressive. I'm, 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 I'm very happy with the production he's had. I think he's, I think he's going to go down as obviously one of the best quarterbacks that Carolina's had. Mm-hmm. I think if he can stay healthy, he'll go down as, as one of the better quarterbacks in college football, period. Um, by the time his career is over, and then you know we'll see if he's a, if he's a Baker Mayfield type, um, you know if, if if his height and measurables ultimately affect him in the draft a couple years down the road. But for right now, Sam's biggest concern and our biggest concern for him should be success at the college level. And I think right. if he can sustain what he's done this year, his talent of teams going to grow around him, and the sky's the limit for for this team, assuming they can keep the coaching staff together and they can handle, you know, they can manage attrition as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, he's off to about as good of a start as anybody could have hoped for, breaking the record um, for the program's uh, passing touchdowns in a season that was held by Mitch Trubisky, um, did it his first year on campus, breaks the true freshman record, which was held by Trevor Lawrence last year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's exceeding everybody's expectations. We knew when he won the job back in August this was a special guy, but I don't think that anybody thought that we were going to see the type of production that we've seen from him so far. And I agree, if they can keep all the young pieces around him, I think they're going to be in good shape over the next couple of years. And I mean, I mean, look, he's been really successful as a true freshman. A lot of the other guys that have had to play a little bit earlier than expected, I don't know if they've been as successful. And I think that's one of the main reasons that this team, you know, has been in nine one possession games so far this season, but has only won th- uh, three of those. Is it really this simple to say that the reason that they're not winning these close games right now is that they're just too young and, and, and too banged up? Or is there a bigger bigger issue here that we're just kind of trying to avoid um, because it is the first year under Mac Brown? Well, those are the objective, I guess, qualitative factors, right? Yeah, they mm-hmm. are too young. Yeah, they are banged up. But really what the problem is is that they haven't learned how to win. I said this, said this on a podcast earlier this week, but um, you know, and I said I think I t- may have tweeted it last week too. But Carolina right now knows that they win; they just don't know how to win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the winning games late is minimizing mistakes early. It's converting on third downs. It's it's an extra hour of preparation throughout the week on your own outside of the outside of practice, outside of mandatory you know film study that sort of stuff. Um, it's it, the game is won. You know, the game is won by Thursday. Um, you know, if you're playing on Saturday, you're, by Thursday's practice, you have either won or lost that game at that point. Um, young teams don't truly understand that. When I say young teams, it's sort of a cliche, it's a buzz term that everybody throws around. Mm-hmm. Young teams are teams that have inexperienced players at key positions. Um, right now, that's basically us at every position, for the most part. Right. Um, you know, and, and, 
they have they, they do a lot of boneheaded things early in games. The third down conversion is not great on offense. On defense, we understand, you know, everybody knows the struggles, and we can see, you know, we go, we go on for hours about the struggles that we're having. You know, defensively, I think a lot of the problems that they're having on the defensive side of the ball right now are actually injury and fatigue related. If you look at the guys that we have playing, some of them are number one, two, or three in total number of snaps taken at their position nationally. Right. Um, a couple of you know, a couple of these guys have over. You know, I think Miles Dorn has um, over seven hundred. 720 snaps on the season so far, maybe even more than that, maybe 730 or 740. It's, it's absolutely outrageous mm-hmm. how many snaps that guy's played. He's not been on the field for like five plays before the Mercer game. Right. Uh, that is going to ultimately take its toll. And what that does is it also it, it, it shows that you don't have a lot of depth behind you, right? So these guys have to play because who they have behind them just haven't developed. It's not a talent deficiency. Mm-hmm. It's not a good at football deficiency. It's just a adapted and developed for a college game deficiency that some of these backups in our depth chart don't have yet. Uh, and you can't throw them in because they don't know, quote, how to win any better than the guys that are in there right now. So it's not a better alternative to start them or to have them split series, split snaps, and some of the guys that you know are fatigued. You just have to leave your players in there. And by the end, I think by the end of games, they're just getting worn down. So that's what's happening with our defense. And because of that, you're getting dumb penalties and you're giving up you know, certain long conversions to opposing offenses and things like that. So that's that's how you win games. That's how to win. Um, what they've done is they've kind of screwed around and they've they, they, they've, they've, they've they've messed some teams up and they've caught them off guard and they've won by minimizing those types of mistakes. But I would say that Carolina has played the same game at this point, with the exception of Mercer and George Tech. Carolina has played the exact same football game and produce the exact same way on offense and defense mm-hmm. uh, for the other eight games of the year, right? Right. No, that's, you're right. That, that's, that, that's, just, that's just how it is. They're, they're currently, yeah, they're currently five and six, except for the other nine games of the year. They played the exact same football game right. nine times. And three times they've come out on top, six times they haven't. And the only difference is that in those six other games, the ones that they lost, the other team minimized their mistakes and capitalize on the small ones that we made. And in the three games that we won, opposing team was not able to capitalize on the little mistakes that we were making, but we were able to weather that storm and push forward with the exact same production we've had in the six losses. So that's that's what it is. They, they know that they win. They just don't know how to win. I think after this year, they're going to have a much better idea of it. Um, unbelievable production for a team that I think is vastly exceeding expectations way ahead of schedule. Well, let's turn to your area of expertise, which is on the offensive line. That's where you played when you were a Tar Heel. And, you know, the Tar Heel offensive line this season has kind of had their ups and downs. But, I mean, let's be honest. You know, they've been starting through three redshirt freshmen that didn't have any experience coming into this season at all at the college level. Um, And, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, those guys have sort of built throughout the season. But, you know, the question is, is do you like the progression that you've seen from this group? Group so far, and, and is this kind of where you expected them to be at this point in the season? Uh, I did. Um, you know, when Polino got hurt against Miami, I knew we were going to be in for some trouble on the interior. You know, mm-hmm. they looked pretty good in the first. Uh, they looked pretty good against South Carolina on the inside three. They looked really good against Miami for the vast majority of the game until Nick went down right. with the inside three. They were even able to. I mean, they, they weathered that problem too, and they got through the Miami game, and I didn't see a whole lot of drop off. 
Um, starting week three, I started seeing some issues, on, you know, with the inside. And I mm-hmm. said in the preseason that our offense will go, and our running game particularly, will go how our inside three go. Our center and our two guards. When Polino went down, there was a void. Brian Anderson came in. He struggled early, but he made he made a lot of improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, that kid, I think, is playing at a much higher level than he was earlier in the season. He's still making still making mistakes, but that's the kind of stuff that comes with experience. Um, he, I've seen the leaps in him that I expected to see from a development standpoint, just from getting game reps, um, and I think those those leaps are going to continue. Um, you know, McKeith is another one. I think he he had some struggles early on, but. It, I mean, he's ultimately turned out to be a pretty good player. So we, we had some guys in there that I think are going to be very successful. But overall, yes, I think I think Carolina's offensive line right now is is producing as expected, mm-hmm. um, which is is actually a bigger a bigger compliment than it sounds. It sounds like because right. remember you lost your senior Nick Polino game two of the season, and they're still producing the way I thought they would have at this point with him in the lineup all year long. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that a lot of people are are looking at when they talk about where this offensive line is 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 really just you know the amount of sacks that they've allowed on, on Sam Howell. But I think part of that you know the blame has to go a little bit on Sam because there are times where he definitely holds on to the ball a little bit too long. That'll be something that as he progresses throughout his career at Carolina, he'll learn to get rid of the ball quickly if it's not there within your first two reads or to take off and run, which he really hasn't been able to do this year because of the concern about him taking hits. so uh, But I think, you know, if you look at the run game here as we've progressed throughout the season, I think you've started to see how well this offensive line is, is working together and how, you know, the progression of some of these guys up front, particularly, like you said, with Brian Anderson and Marcus McKeithen. And uh, McKeithen, you know, when he went down in, in the game against Pittsburgh, you know, that they there was some concern, and, and you heard it in the coaches' voices after the game, um, when they were talking about you know him going down, which was yeah, we we kind of we need this guy. You know, it might not seem like he's having as great of a year because he's not as talked about as as Charlie Heck or Nick Polino was when he was at guard. But I think yeah, as the season went along, you could see that these guys are starting to get more comfortable with the college game, with the ACC game, and, and it's starting to work out pretty well for them. And it looks like we've got a couple of guys down there that are going to be stalemates along those offensive uh, along that offensive line. Uh, for years to come. So the last question I'll ask you, um, you know, t- speaking of Charlie Heck, he is graduating at the end of the season, so that's going to leave behind a pretty big void on the offensive line. And it seems like usually there's always that one star guy that we talk about on the offensive line, at least in Tar Heel country. Um, you know, he's a star to us. So, you know, is there somebody that you're seeing right now that's going to be that new name that everybody's talking about on the offensive line next year, or is that something that is probably going to have to be figured out in the off season? I think it's most likely going to be something that's figured out in the offseason. The beautiful thing about the offensive line is that, you know, in, in terms of star power, to the extent there are stars on an offensive line, mm-hmm. um, those guys typically sort themselves out during the offseason, and you don't really know who it's ever going to be. I mean, you have guys that are, you know, nine star offensive linemen coming out of high school, and they should go out in college and then have a super skill. You have guys that are. You know, no stars or two stars or three stars, and they turn out to be first-round picks. Mm-hmm. You just never know what you're going to get. Um, so you, it, it's hard to predict that right now. But just off of production, I think it's McKeithen. I think if okay. there is a guy right now that's a front-runner to be the next big name on the offensive line, mm-hmm. it's McKeithen. Um, oh, and that's, okay. he's got, he has the size. I'm seeing his footwork getting better. 
um, he he along with the entire offensive line, right? I think the reason that they're I think the reason that they've been from a production standpoint relatively successful this year and they've gotten better and better mm-hmm. is directly correlated to like we talked about the struggles in the red zone getting up on the second level. They mm-hmm. have they have they have gotten much better at that out in the field. Um, you know, that, that, was a, that was a gripe I had early on was that the offensive line wasn't doing a very good job of getting up on the second level, period, mm-hmm. whether it was red zone or out of the field. Um, they have they have really improved in that area out, you know, normal down the distance yardage out, out in the you know, fat part of the field there. Um, I think that's why we're seeing success in the running game. And McKeaton is a, is, is a guy who has gotten much better in that respect. And that's the thing I think he'll improve on and everybody will improve on in the offseason. But you just don't know. Right. That there's not a guy on the bench right now who's chomping at the bit. He's just buying his time. He's going to come in next year after you know Charlie after Charlie leaves and Nick leaves, and then this kid's going to. You know, I don't know who this is. I'm speaking in generalities. Right. He will come in and take over one of their spots or take over another spot and just be a diamond in the rough star that nobody knew. They wasn't on anybody's radar and just turns out to be a monster. Uh, that happens. With most schools, at least once, there's always some surprise starter that turns out to be, you know, a real gem for you. And a lot of times, it is on the offensive line because it is, frankly, the single most difficult position to evaluate in recruiting, in NFL scouting, and even internally for internal scouting purposes, determining who your starters are going to be. It's often very difficult to evaluate an offensive lineman until you've seen them put pads on and play. So I think it's something that'll sort itself out in the offseason, but it's really going to sort itself out by about week three of next year. We'll know who that guy is by week three of next year off the game film. Well, you talked about surprise starters, and the guy that you said probably has the advantage right now was one of those guys that we saw on this year's starting lineup uh, for the game against South Carolina that we were a little surprised about, and he's turned out to be a really good young player down there in Marcus McKeithen. So, uh, hey, Mike, thanks for taking some time. Uh, yeah, thanks for taking some time out and, and, and talking with us uh, here on uh, the Tuesday night of the State Week. Um, I know uh, you, you're, you're ready to go. We're ready to go as well. Tell people where they can follow you on Twitter so they can uh, see some of your tweets after the game because, I mean, you, you do some great – I mean, you tweet out some great stuff, some great statistics and everything like that, and usually love to hear what you have to say about uh, the game when it's, uh, when it's panning out. So uh, where can they follow you at? Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I get pretty fired up during the game. My in-game, my in-game Twitter activity is, is, is the most activity you'll ever see from me on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. You can find me. It's, 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 at, it's at Michael Ingersoll. It's, uh, I use the uh, the lowercase L doubles as the I in my last name. So it's actually M-I-C-H-A-E-L-N-G-E-R-S-O-L-L is my Twitter handle. I'm also on Instagram at Mike Ingersoll. Um, and that's, yeah, that's where you can find me. And also, obviously, we do the podcast with Inside Carolina, so you can hear me there once or twice a week, too. All right, yeah. We'll make sure to check you out there. Hey, thanks, Mike, for stopping by with us. And uh, let's go beat the Wolfpack and get to a bowl game. Yeah, man. Yeah, I hope they prove me wrong. I really do. <laughs> All right, man. You take care. We'll talk to you down the line. All right. See you, Anthony. See you. All right, so Mike Ingersoll there, the former Tar Heel offensive lineman. Uh, great stuff from him, as always. He's one of the guys that uh, I love to have on uh, to talk a little bit about, um, you know, especially the offensive line, but really just the overall perspective of this team. He does such a great job um, with everything that he does, all the breakdowns that he does. Of course, he is uh, does some stuff for Inside Carolina, so that's great for, uh, for him as well. If you guys want to check that out, uh, make sure you go and check out their podcast, the Inside Carolina podcast. So, 
Uh, of course, we are getting ready for the state game as well. Um, we do have one more thing to wrap up from the Mercer game, and that will be the trench report, which will come out. Of course, you can check that out on HeelToughBlog.com. That's the place where you can check out everything that you need uh, when it comes to Tar Heel football. Uh, we have you all you covered on there. Also with Tar Heel basketball, everything is covered on there. So uh, focusing on football real quick, uh, as we mentioned, trench report for the Mercer game will be coming out soon. We'll also have where we're going to release the rankings of the best games between Carolina and State. You'll now, you will now you don't want to miss that. Um, we rank the top five games as well as two honorable mentions, so make sure that you guys are looking out for that on the website. And then, of course, we will have the preview of the game against NC State for you. We'll do one uh, that will be in the written form, the article that we'll post up there, as well as the podcast, which we'll do. Uh, it'll be me and Josh breaking down the game for you, giving our uh, keys to the game, as well as our players of the game, and then, of course, our prediction. Uh, and you guys will be able to listen to that on Spreaker, uh, iTunes, uh, anywhere you can listen to the podcast. Anywhere you're listening to this right now, you'll be able to listen to that edition of the podcast. Also, we will put a link at the bottom of the uh, preview article for you guys to listen as well so make sure you guys check that out so you are ready to go uh, whether you're heading to Carter Finley Stadium or staying at your house and watching the game from there make sure that you are ready and fired up for the game against the Wolfpack as the Tar Heels look to get bowl eligible for the first time since 2016 of course you can check out the website as well we encourage you to check out the Heel Tough blog website uh, right now because uh, we are going to be covering the battle for Atlantis the Tar Heels tip off uh, tomorrow at 2.30 uh, on ESPN. Uh, so make sure you guys are ready for that. In the Bahamas, Battle for Atlantis against the Alabama Crimson Tide. They will know who their opponent will be uh, next up regardless of whether they win or lose because Michigan and Iowa State are going to open the tournament uh, tomorrow at noon. So um, Carolina will know who they're going to face either way. It's just about going out there and getting the job done. We'll have you covered uh, with instant analysis from that. I'll take care of that with Anthony's analysis. That'll come out right after the game. Uh, and then you'll have uh, Josh's recap, which will come out later in the night. And uh, we will do that for each game of the tournament. So make sure that you guys are ready for that on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. We have all the different sections. Of course, you can check out the podcast there too, the Heel Tough Blog Podcast tab. If you want to listen to this podcast, the Roy's Boys Podcast tab, if you want to listen to the Roy's Boys Podcast, which breaks down Carolina basketball. So once again, want to thank Mike Ingersoll for stopping by and talking with us. want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels!